Welcome to Peaks and Troughs, the new 12-part series about the ups and downs of the people who live in Hong Kong. We'll be learning how to survive an attack by Somali pirates, how to spot a dodgy property deal or a financial scammer, everything you want to know about airline safety, and the role of triads in modern Hong Kong. So today, where do aging expatriates go? Well, here's more from long-term Hong Kong resident and financial expert Bill Ahern. Well, the single thing I notice the most is that uh, expats of, from, from all countries are going home less than they used to. So you see them staying on. Is that just what we would call the old colonials, you know, the, the expatriate policemen and the expatriate civil servants, or, or is that wider than that? I'd say it was much wider than that. People who have made their careers here in the professions and in business, uh, the 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 pattern used to be that they would all go home, except for the English, who seemed in those days to go to Spain and warmer climes. But the uh, Australians and the Canadians and the Americans and the Europeans, they all seemed to go home once they retired, but that is changing. Why do you think they don't go home anymore? Well, I think they, I think there's a number of reasons. They, they seem to have decided that this is actually a good place to retire. And they think it's a good place to retire because it's in the centre of the world so that they can visit their families uh, in other places. A lot of their families are actually coming back to settle in Hong Kong after they've completed their secondary schooling or the universities, uh, the university degrees. The other reason is that uh, the tax situation here is still very benign compared to the regimes of the countries that I've just mentioned. And I think a further reason is that They've come to understand that the quality of care that they can get when they're older is not only comparable in terms of price of what they would pay in their home countries, but in the standard of care that they will get here. But isn't Hong Kong a very expensive place to live? It is, but if you take out the housing element, so if you don't have to pay a large rent every month to live in the flat that you've accustomed to live in, if you own your own flat and you've got a, a reasonable or no mortgage to service, living here is not that more expensive and in some ways, when you take out the tax, cheaper than right. living in London or Sydney or Wellington. Or So the key to all this seems to be buy your own flat and then the day-to-day living isn't too much. Exactly. So then talk a little bit about care, if you would, because I know that it can be crippling paying for nursing home care in the UK. Mm. You can be talking £1,000 a week, which is 12000 Hong Kong a week, mm. and that's just for eight hours a day. Mm. So how does that stack up against what you can do here? Well, um, we all know what it costs to have a domestic helper here. Uh, from either the Philippines or, or Indonesia or somewhere. I think that the, the, the minimum wage or the statutory wage is something in the order of $4,000 a month. So even if you need to employ three helpers to look after you on a full-time basis, probably it wouldn't be difficult to get people from the Philippines with nursing qualifications for that sort of money. So that's, say, $12,000 a month 
which is only £1,000 a month. Well, that's a fraction of the cost, isn't it? Correct. I mean, my father has been looked after uh, round the clock by a, a, a tribe of uh, um, carers in, in, in Brisbane, Australia, and, and the costs of that, I can tell you, are many multiples of the figure that I've just given you. Give us a rough idea of what that's costing. About 100000 Australian dollars a year. Oof, yes. Mm. So in actual fact, Hong Kong isn't such a bad place to grow old. It's a great place to go old as long as you own your own flat mm. or if you've got so much money it doesn't matter. Now I think that brings us to another sensitive subject in many mm. cases which is people who haven't made adequate preparation for their older years and mm. you know Hong Kong is not a loser-friendly city. No. And, and would you see a few people in that category? Yes, some people uh, haven't um, saved sufficiently for their retirement and end up here... Um, not in the best of situations, and for them it's very difficult to find nursing care uh, or old age care here where English is the lingua franca. That was Bill Ahern, who a few moments ago mentioned the China Coast Community, which is a care home that was founded in 1978 by the Dean of St John's Cathedral to fulfil just this need. Let's find out more about the China Coast Community in Kowloon Tong. Here's the general manager, Vijay Singh. Okay, at the moment we have varying nationalities. We have Europeans, we have Chinese, we have Indians, Portuguese, quite a wide range, all of whom speak English, all of whom have contributed to Hong Kong in their own way. They've worked here in their early 30s, 40s, and they've chosen Hong Kong as their home. So the ones who are here are because they need care. And so we have some who came in as resident, residential, able to look after themselves. But over the years, they've gotten frailer and frailer, and so they need care. So we have two floors. The ground floor is the ones who need total care and supervision. And the upper floors, we tend to put the ones who are fit and well. Right. So, so what sort of people would tend to come here? Are they people who've retired here or...? come from overseas originally and meant to go home but didn't? What, what sort of people would yes, you see? Yes, we have um, people who have worked here and either married local girls or decided that Hong Kong was the place. They hadn't lived in their own countries for over 20, 30 years and found it difficult to actually go back and get settled back into the community. So Hong Kong has been their home. We also have um, families who have brought mom and dad back from overseas because the kids are working here and so mom and dad are on their own because the spouse has passed away and they can't manage. So they have brought them out on what's called a dependent visa. Um, And so they used to live with mom and dad but they find the cause strain on the relationship in the home because they were very demanding and the families couldn't cope so they come here. Now when they come here The first thing that I do, I will assess them, i.e. whether what they can do for themselves, whether they need certain aids, whether they need um, physio, and it's always when the physio is here, because it's easier for us to assess them both. All right, now tell us about the finances, because money is at the heart of every story about retiring in Hong Kong. We have some residents who can afford to pay the full fee. Now, the full fee at the moment is 15540 That's Hong Kong dollars. Hong Kong dollars. And per month? Per month. But all newcomers, 
forfeit payers must deposit two months, and then we have some on CSS there who pay a lot less. Um, so fifteen thousand is approximately uh, a little bit over a thousand pounds. Correct. Yeah, but um, as you know, they it, th that includes their room and board, physio, occupational therapy. Nursing care, we don't charge extra. That's remarkable value when an, a normal care home in the UK costs £1,000 a Absolutely week without correct. extras. Yes. However, if we feel that they are requiring a lot more than we can give, i.e. they need to go to the bathroom every two hours or they need feeding or they're, we have some with dementia varying degrees, then we ask the families to provide a carer or a helper to be with them because suddenly they may wander off and we can't deal with that. So some of them, you'll see, have their own carers, um, but we oversee all of them. They're not just let loose to do what they want. We make sure that the residents are properly taken care of. Right, so you have them here at every stage, from people who might just treat it like bed and breakfast to having total care. Yes. And what kind of rules do you have? I hear they're not allowed to have any alcohol on the premises. Not really, because... Well, the alcohol is supervised, but they're not allowed to have it in their rooms because in the past they've had a lot of problems with alcohol. Is that a bit of an issue with, uh, we're not calling them expatriates, but shall yes. we say the older English-speaking? That's correct, yes. And yes. is that a consequence of uh, the Hong Kong expatriate lifestyle? Lifestyle, yes, yes, definitely. But, you know, if we have a party, we give them a sherry or wine and it's all supervised, but they're not over the top. We don't, we don't take away all their vices. That was Vijay Singh, who runs the China Coast community with good-humoured firmness. I think that's a good way of putting it. And over the years, she must have seen a few of Hong Kong's livelier characters pass through, with quite a few vices between them. So I guess she wasn't kidding about the booze. So let's hear from a recent arrival at the China Coast community. His name is Nihao. Now I have been, I think, nine months so you're a relative well, newcomer. I came in March. In March, March of last year. Last year, yes. So uh, where had you been living before that? Before that, I was living at Sea Ranch. Ah, now opposite uh, Chongchao, you know. Now Sea Ranch is a uh, was origin originally built as a residential development on the coastline of Lantau, wasn't That's right, it? That's right. Yes. But then it never was taken up that much, and it sort of fell into disrepair. Yes, it was built by Hutchison. And we went there from the very beginning before it was built up. And the last 18 years I was there. 18 years? Yes. So tell me your story before then. Where did you come from originally? I came from, uh, actually, which is now Pakistan. It was India at that time. I'm from Hyderabad, Sindh. Right. Which is now uh, in Pakistan. And we left in 1947 during the partition. Right. You remember the partition was India and Pakistan. Yes. So I'm Hindu. My religion is Hindu and uh, we, we had to leave. So why did you choose Hong Kong? No, first we came to India. Oh, first India. First I came to India and we went to Bangalore. Right. And then after that I moved here in Hong Kong in 1953. So from Bangalore to Hong Kong in 1953. Three, that's right. And you worked your, the rest of your working life? Yes, first I worked here with some people. Uh, in Dagler Street, and after that I started my own export company. Right. And uh, I was doing exports for a long time, and then in 1994 I closed down, 
Right. And uh, I'm retired now. So your family is here as well? No. You're here no, by yourself? I'm, I'm alone here. Yes. Alone here, okay. So how have you ended up coming to the China coast? Well, I knew about it, and uh, I had a friend, you know. His name was Peter Scales, who was the vice chairman of uh, Villach Marden. And he was here for quite some time, and he passed away about six months ago. Right. And I knew about this place. I had been to other places to see it, but this is the best place I find in Hong Kong. And it's, of and course, uh, English-speaking. It is, is because of English-speaking, but also the management is excellent, if including the staff is excellent. Uh, you know, Mr. Singh is uh, very, very good, the manager. Right. So mm. what's the food like? Food is excellent. Excellent. I, I, I would say that this is the best place in Hong Kong. Yes, it certainly uh, it doesn't have that terrible smell that a lot of homes have, does it? That's, it smells lovely, that's, very, that's what I mean. very pleasant. Because they keep it very clean, and especially the staff is superb, I tell you, one of the best, I would say. And they look after you like anything, nurses, and, you know, the cooks and everything. Yes, so do you consider yourself lucky to have got I'm a place here? I'm very lucky to be here. I wish I had come earlier. <laughs> Yes, I wish. So when did, at what point did you decide that you would try to come here? Well, well I, I have seen it here, you know, because I was living alone. And it's not easy to live alone and then you have nobody there, you know. And so I just decided to come here. That was Ni Hao, a resident at the China Coast community and clearly a happy camper. Now the next resident I'm going to speak to is George. He did not work all his life in Hong Kong and retire here. In fact, his son brought him and his wife over here five years ago. Here's George's story. My son, uh, he's the only uh, member of the family that uh, is over here. Right. But uh, all, all my relatives uh, have died on. I'm sort of the one left setting time. Right. And you just have one son? I do have one son. One son. But he's here, so you're able to see him frequently. He, he uh, does his best to, uh, to, to take me out to, uh, to lunch on Sunday. Because he's a barrister. Right. And right. he's in court a lot. Um, and uh, he's less busy on a Sunday than the other days of the week. Right. If, if you're a, a barrister, your, your life is in court. Yes, indeed, indeed. So... Uh, what do you like to do here? You watch television? You, you can read? Or what do you enjoy doing? I like um, people that are friendly around me. Right. It's, uh, when you get to, to 91 and a half, not many things you can do. He said, talk to someone like I'm talking to you. Right, right. Have you made friends here among the other residents? Um, 
well, uh, uh, the three of them have died because they've all been old too. Oh dear. And uh, they're, they're mainly women that are old. There aren't so many men. I think that's true, isn't it? Women seem to live longer. They do. It's not the same. They do live longer. Mm. Why do you think that is? I, I think they have a different lifestyle. You see, in my time, I was a fighter pilot in the war, and I was only only just 17. I, I, I flew um, single-engine, mainly American fighters. And I bet you didn't see that one coming. Never judge a book by its cover. Unfortunately, not everybody is lucky enough to end up in the China Coast community, and some expatriates find that their money runs out, unfortunately, before they do. Arthur Hacker was a case in point. Arthur was a much-beloved character in Hong Kong. He worked for the government for many years and is chiefly remembered for his very colourful character, Laps Up Chung, which was created for the government's anti-litter campaign in 1972. Arthur was a collector, an artist, a writer. Arthur was a remarkable character, much loved in Hong Kong. He never had any self-pity. In fact, to the end, he was always humorous, as he had been throughout his colourful life. But the money ran out, and then he had to rely on the generosity and indeed charity of his many friends. Solicitor Angus Forsyth was a lifelong friend. Here is Angus Forsyth. Well, he required um, a lot of um, personal attention um, with a diminishing fund with which to, to pay for it. As a matter of fact, um, I think we are all clear that he did sell um, reasonably substantial capital assets away outside Hong Kong in order to maintain his way of life in Hong Kong. This meant, in fact, that he had a very increasingly modest way of life here. He did not go out to great parties. He did not drink a great deal. He did not smoke. In fact, he was rather short of most of the vices that quite a lot of people, uh, including him in his younger days, um, wanted to indulge in in Hong Kong. So he led um, a, a rather solitary um, and rather impecunious life, but a comfortable one. He had a flat, um, a rented flat. He um, had a capital fund um, to spend on, on his life, which was not costly. He did not travel. Um, he was very keen to stay in Hong Kong, and um, he supported himself quite well, but on a diminishing return, because... For the last five or six years of his life, he didn't actually have any, any income from his um, publishing ventures or from his drawing, and he had um, an ongoing expenditure on the rent, on um, a visiting maid, on food, um, and it was, uh, it was not a very happy picture, although it was a manageable one. So when the money ran out, what happened? Well, um, he had a collection. And, um, in fact, like all collectors, um, he did not put together his collection in order to sell it. He put it together in order to appreciate it, in order to learn from it, in order to draw from it various values and various aspects of writing that he wanted to do about it. And he was adamant in refusing to sell it. So when Although, you say collection, Angus, what, what are we talking about? Well, he collected um, what one might call incunabula, i.e. sort of printed works <laughs> of all kinds, whether they are pamphlets, whether they are postcards, all related to Hong Kong and China. 
He collected books about Hong Kong, books about China, postcards of Hong Kong, old postcards of Hong Kong, early 19th, early 20th century postcards of Hong Kong, and he collected um, um, magazines about Hong Kong, and he published books. He put a lot of the material he found in these publications, in these incunabula, into his own books. Right, so we ended up with a situation, as I, as I understand it, that he had this wonderful collection in his flat, but that he himself needed care in his old age, which is a result of a, of a fall. He needed daily care. Uh, and then he ended up with no home, government home or otherwise to go to. So what happened then? Well, um, in fact, the only secure thing that could be done was to make him a, a ward of court. Um, and um, after a great deal of discussion, we, we did that. And that put him into the hands of the government. It also put his bank account into the hands of the government and a very limited amount of drawing was permitted on his bank account to finance um, his continued existence in a home. Angus Forsyth talking about his dear friend Arthur Hacker. This raises an interesting point. Just how much money does it take to spend your twilight years in Hong Kong? I asked financial expert Todd Pallett. In terms of monetary terms, I mean, it's, you know, it's minimums and maximums here in Hong Kong. Forget about the maximums, you can make as much as you like. But I guess from a minimum point of view, if you're looking at a cash burn rate to live here, you need really, as an, uh, and, and I'm talking about expats here, and I'll, I'll talk a bit about why, you really need, I think, as a single person, about 30,000 Hong Kong uh, to 40,000 Hong Kong a month. Uh, but that's with a couple of provisos. One is you own your own home or you have your own place paid off so that you're not in the rent trap. Because obviously per square foot uh, in terms of expense, Hong Kong is the most expensive place in the world to buy real estate right now and keeps setting new records every year for real estate. And that's obviously been driven by the Chinese mainlands uh, coming in and, and buying a property here. So if you had a single person here, thirty to 40,000 uh, Hongki would give you you know, somewhere around eight to 10,000 Hong Kong a week to live on. Um, which is just under, or just over, I should say, a thousand US a week. So it can be a pretty inexpensive town if you've got that covered with the with the rent, uh, and then you know hiring helpers very cheap with uh, helpers. You're looking at a help around four to six thousand Hong Kong a month, so you can have all your uh, home duties looked after, um, and then it becomes a pretty good good place to live. Plus the fact that you know flights to so many destinations around here are very cheap. Um, travel is great, um, but if you're getting a married couple, then you really need to increase that number by about 75% for two people to live off. Um, and if you're looking at locals, well, then that's why I'm not really talking about that market because they can really live with each other quite uh, like a, a communally, so they can share the expenses. But I find with the expats, you don't really find mum, dad, brother and sister and auntie and uncle all living together. Well, by definition, that that tends not to be the case, right? Yeah. And one thing you, you've mentioned before is that you're seeing another trend of expatriates who've come to Hong Kong, made their money, have no wish to retire back to the country they came from, but are looking at other countries in Asia. Can you just expand on that a bit? Yeah, um, I'm seeing more of a, what I call a retirement arbitrage. People are ending up with um, the years of working in Hong Kong. They've done well. We've had a very low tax environment, so you know they've looked at effectively a 15% tax rate. And they end up with a pile of money um, and have their home paid off. And the nice thing with Hong Kong is it's zero capital gains tax here. Um, 
and it's a territorial tax system. So if you earn money in countries outside of here, then you don't have to pay that here. Um, and what I'm seeing happening from a retirement point of view is they may own a, a property here. They might want to uh, come and visit family because they've got their permanent ID. Uh, but then they can go and live somewhere else and have the health care and the retirement care that's a little cheaper in places like the Philippines, Indonesia, Thailand, where the medical care is actually now become very world-class because of the education system and, and countries that have uh, put surgeons there to increase the, the level of knowledge. And so surgeries on par with other more mature economies. Um, you know, people really need to do their research on that though. So I know there obviously have been some, some botched jobs, but uh, you can find some good hospitals. But the medical care is so much cheaper. So, you know, as I was saying before, you can go to the Philippines and have a doctor allocated to you full-time for 500 US a month where you're, you're struggling to find a doctor or, or sit in a, in a room for two hours in some of the Western countries. That was financial expert Todd Pallett putting it all into perspective. Makes you think, though, doesn't it? If you have medical tourism, why not retirement tourism? South Asia, after all, is warmer and cheaper. For most expatriates, however, the decision to retire in Hong Kong is not so much a decision as just a continuation of normal life. A case in point is Jake Vanderkamp, who for many years has been the South China Morning Post's often controversial, sometimes quirky, sometimes satirical, financial columnist. I came here 36 years ago. I liked the place. I got married here. The kids were born here. We've got a lovely home. Uh, I find it an extremely congenial place to live. And, well, I suppose one I could go back to Canada, but I feel no specific urge to. It's fine living right here. So, any disadvantages about being in Hong Kong? Forever? Oh, I have to discover them as they come along. The biggest disadvantage anyone could face is going to be accommodation, housing costs. Um, if you've got that one covered and you're quite happy to eat doodles, rice, uh, then uh, the costs are not high at all. Do you own your own place? I do indeed. So you're not in the rent trap? I'm not in the rent trap. Um, for people in the rent trap, it is a can be and is right now a different matter. Well, he's all right, Jake. That brings us to the end of the first episode of Peaks and Troughs, where we look at the everyday lives of Hong Kong people. Next week, we'll be examining the hidden life of the harbour, where the seafarer's life can be probably the most boring job imaginable one day, and then fending off AK-47-wielding Somali pirates the next. Until then, have a great week.